you have to see humans in systems. Mm-hmm. And far too often, people see other humans transactionally. What can you do for me? What can I do for you? I owe him. I owe her. It's a tit for tat. What's actually happening is our minds and our brains and our hearts, our cells literally sync up with one another. And that enables or stops development. Expanding possibilities, the mindset zone. I'm your host, Anna Malikian. And before we start with today's show, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. For over 25 years, Natasha Todorovic Cowan has been working with leaders, consultants, coaches, and organizations applying her proprietary spiral dynamics cultural DNA survey, leadership assessments, and Change Readiness Index to predict hurdles to change. Her company, National Value Center Consulting, and its partners in delivering spiral dynamic programs have worked in organizations all over the world, including Boeing, Greenpeace, and Volvo, just to name three of a very, very long list. And it's truly my pleasure to have her here in the Mindset Zone podcast. Welcome, Natasha. Hannah, it is truly a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you for inviting me. And I would like to start with uh, an ask, because I was listening to, you do a lot of training, you have so many things out there, webinars, master classes, and in one of these, I listened to you tell the story about the map metaphor to navigate an unknown city. So can you tell us that? Well, yeah, because here's the thing. When we have experiences in life, um, we are trained, we are habituated, we fall into habit. So the story is, um, if you were going on a trip, if you were traveling and you had a coach and the coach says, oh my gosh, I really want to help you with this trip. I know this is your dream, Anna, to go to Paris. I have a friend and they've got maps. So let me ask them if they'll share their maps. And then the friend is generous and says, you know what? Here, take my maps, give them to Anna, because I really want her to have a wonderful time in Paris. And you know that these are really special maps, that they are most up to date, that they have been well-researched, that uh, everything that you need to find your way around Paris is there, and your dream is to find the Eiffel Tower. And then you pull out the map, and you're in Paris, and you kind of see the Eiffel Tower over the buildings. Um, And then you look at the map. And it just happens to be a map down the coast of Iceland to Reykjavik, right? Now you look at it and you go, well, my gosh, this is Iceland. Of course, this isn't going to get me there. 
But the problem is with the maps that we use as consultants, as coaches, as parents, as spouses, we are using maps that we picked up along the journey of life that are for Iceland to Reykjavik, but not for Paris to go to the Eiffel Tower. And I think that it really illustrates a lot the work in the mindset arena, because uh, we can see mindsets as the habits of our mind. Absolutely. We develop uh, as we grow up, the culture, the influence, so many genetics, so many things. It's a mix of things. And we have this uh, this map to see the world, to keep the map on our, on our habits that we create, conscious and conscious. And we run in so many trouble because it's not the map that we need in a certain time in our lives. Well, I, I have a question for you. Um, so this is a question that I sometimes ask my audiences, right? <laughs> it's like, how many of you have dogs, right? <laughs> All right. And then when you open the back door to let the dog out, right? Mm-hmm. If you notice, there is a path around the yard where the dog has worn their tracks. Yes. Our minds are like dog tracks where we follow the habits of our pacing. Absolutely. And there is nothing wrong with it. The issue is that we have to be flexible enough if the circumstances demand the new learning to be open for this new learning. Exactly. And you have, because you have decades of experience in working with organizations in complex change, and, and you have this amazing model that is called Spiral Dynamics that allows you to work with these big organizations in helping them in the change, in the transformation process. Can you define in a simple way uh, what is Spiral Dynamics? Just like lift a little bit of the veil to give us a taste of it. So Spiral Dynamics is our brand. It's a program that consists of a series of courses and also our proprietary tool suite. And the spiral essentially, um, if you want to think of spiral as human nature, you know, who are, you know, who are the people? Um, What are their mental maps and models? What are their um, preferences for leading, their preferences for parenting, their preferences for learning, uh, their preferences for managing or being managed? And then the dynamics part is change. So it's essentially human nature and how we change and evolve and emerge and develop. I love it. So the spiral is the human element, the human growth and development Uh, that I totally love the image of the spiral because there is a back and forward that is not really a repetition. If we are evolving and developing, it's not a repetition. You know, I just, I love (laughs) your background because we could go down that rabbit hole, but you know, what you just brought up is a really critical point is that we spiral back and forth between a, I direct my life and my reality and the engine of 
um, um, movement comes from inside me to I'm sensing around myself, the world about me, the, the outside context, taking that information and changing myself to adapt to that world. One is a change the world approach. The other is a change me to adapt to the world approach. So if we start with those two, that's what cycles back and forth between the express self to the deny self. And that's where the warm and cool come in. So is the internal change, the external change and the dynamic of those two forces? Yeah. So if you can imagine someone who's, and you probably had clients like this who are, I'm in charge. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do it my way. And sometimes they live an entire life like that. And other times they're like, oh my gosh, I keep getting myself into trouble. I need to think about this differently. Can you help me with this? Oh, I need to listen to my market more. I need to listen to my coach or consultant more. I'm going to open up and I'm going to be willing to take feedback and try to change myself to be a better person. And so let's try to bring these abstract uh, concepts in a way that people can understand can you can be either organization or person, but can you give us an example on how the spiral dynamics model can help a person change? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the organizations that we worked with was um, uh, an 85-year-old family-owned company. Um, the owner, founder of it passed away. Um, he had a will. He was leaving it to his three sons. Um, but the mother uh, got it first. And then she rewrote the will entirely and left it to her favorite one son. So apart from all the mother, son, father, son dynamics, this organization was being torn apart by these brothers who were trying to negotiate not only their internal family pain, but who was going to control this organization. And it was divided into three, four silos, actually. One silo behind each brother and a silo behind the founder. Mm -hmm. So over four years, now this was a multi-million dollar lawsuit. And we they knew and we knew that if it continued, the, the entire company would be torn apart. But the emotional attachment to position, to job, to what I get to do, what they do, was also very much ingrained in this organization. And their average tenured employee was had been there for, you know, like 25 years. Wow. Right. So this was very entrenched culturally. Um, it was chaotic at the top, so chaotic that uh, they couldn't get a CEO in. And our job was to help them understand their culture, uh, get out of the battle, find a trajectory forward, and to the degree that it was possible, start to heal some of these, some of this wounding. And it took it took four years. 
Um, and it went from family owned to uh, an employee stock ownership program. And a few years ago, um, it was sold to a major international brand. And once the transition was complete, it had been the most profitable that it had ever been in its history. Wow. So from a chaotic, really in the brink of bringing everything down situation by working together with this spiral dynamic system, you really managed to get the best outcome possible. Given the conditions. Yeah. So it helps, um, you know, with the assessments, um, with a good analysis, with good access, with support at the top levels. And it was from board level to shop floor with support at the right levels. It can be transformational in the way people relate to one another. And that's that cultural cohesion. And also in the way people relate to themselves and the job to be done and their markets. So it's not one or the other is both. And you have to approach both, again, that internal change and the external change. Yeah, I call them relationship systems. You have to see humans in systems. Mm -hmm. And far too often, people see other humans transactionally. What can you do for me? What can I do for you? I owe him. I owe her. It's a tit for tat. What's actually happening is our minds and our brains and our hearts, our cells literally sync up with one another. And that enables or stops development. And that's why you've got to be aware of this relationship system that's happening with the individual as they relate to themselves or as they relate to one another in team, or as a culture evolves organizationally. If you can get your fingers on the pulse of that, um, 70% of change fails organizationally. And even even at personal level, think about New Year's resolutions, how long do they last? (laughs) I have made a resolution that there will be no more New Year's resolutions for me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because it's the relationship with the self and with the environment around. So let's, I, I, I want to learn this even more for people. I know this is complex, but even learning a little bit about your own life story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are not born like me. You are not born here in the U.S. True. Uh, <laughs> you were born in Yugoslavia, correct? Yeah. yeah. That, under the communist. Uh, and um, so, Sophie, uh, and uh, uh, your parents, uh, tell us a little bit about how old were you when your parents flew, um, decide to, that they had to change? <laughs> well, that was a really fascinating story. So I, yeah, I was born in the former Yugoslavia and my parents were very apolitical. And I mean, this was, yeah, you're right. This was a communist country. If you weren't part of the political machine, you had no hope for positions. Even my, my, my parents were living with my father's mother in a one bedroom apartment. 
And, you know, they're looking at this kid, either, I don't know, on the way or there going, oh my God, we are going to be stuck. And this is going to be a horrible life. And they really despised um, politics. They just knew it was just a mess and trouble. And so my father got a um, an offer from Colorado State University, and he had to escape. And he got somehow got himself on a boat. Um, it was a three month journey across the ocean. He got himself to uh, the United States, got himself to Colorado. And as he got set up, um, he called for me and my mother. And then she had to figure out how to get the heck out of the country with a baby <laughs> um, and then fly across the world. Um, to this entirely different world where, you know, she understood a little English, but not very much. And she had to teach herself how to speak English. And she did it watching soap operas. Wow. And how old were you at the time? I was, I think I was like about two, three. So you don't have many, you have the recollections more about the stories that you heard about it. Well, you know, I remember, Anna, being on the airplane. I remember that. I remember glimpses of being in the former Yugoslavia. Like, I remember sitting in the closet playing with shoes, right? Because I I love shoes. I don't know. It was genetic. (laughs) (laughs) Let's embrace that. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And I remember you know, with like my arm up in the air, um, like holding onto my mother's arm as a hand as we were getting onto a bus, right? You know, those little bits I remember. And then as a kid, I do remember living at the faculty apartments. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting out there because people weren't responding to whatever I was saying. I learned to change what I was asking. And what I was asking was, do you want to be my friend? Do you want to yes. play with me? Yes. Inter- <laughs> is that human need of interaction of a relationship? But from now, from the perspective that you can have now looking back, how do, do you think that was for your parents, this change? Because this was a, a what a change. Or they say, if we think that organizations nowadays are going through change, the change from coming from uh, one country, even if it's bad there, to another country that the, uh, you don't speak well the language, that the culture is different. That is so different. Say, that is incredible. But how do you think for them in terms of that internal uh, human development, the internal change and the external change. How do you saw that playing in your parents? Um, it was fascinating because they understood a world that I didn't really live. Right. So as a kid, I kept trying to translate to them what this world was like. And they were still, remember the map. Right. Yes. They were in a new country, but they were, you know, they were close to the Eiffel Tower, but they were still using the map down the coast of Iceland to get to Reykjavik. Because was what they were used to, what they were raising and you coming here so early, you you were building a different map. Yeah. And they, you know, what was interesting was they wanted me to build that map. So when we spoke at home, we only spoke English. 
And I, there's a, a guy I met, um, you know, every so often I'll meet somebody from the former Yugoslavia and they'll start speaking to me in Serbian. And I'm like, you know, in my body, it feels familiar, but I have no idea what you yeah. just said. Wow. I can ask for my mother and I can ask for some milk. Yes. <laughs> That's what I got. Yeah, but I bet that that experience help you uh, once you're traveling the world, working with so many organizations and clients. I think you you travel over 50 different countries. Um, tell me, how do you see that that experience at, at help you working with other people and organizations in these transformations and big changes? Well, that is about culture. Um, because I, you know, we, we moved from um, Colorado to Montreal in Quebec. There was a massive cultural war between English speaking Canada, French speaking Canada. Um, and I found myself trying to understand what was going on culturally there. Um, so being very culturally attuned, being very attuned to um, how things are here, because I'd had three massive transitions by the time I was like eight years old. So was from Europe to uh, here in the United States, Colorado, then Colorado, uh, Canada, uh, Quebec, and then uh, still another one. And then back here. Wow, <laughs> back here. So you really, for a young age... It, as almost a survival need, you had to get used to change your maps. Uh, yeah, frequent map changes, right? Because I, 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 you know, had this dream of working in the fashion business, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. So I spent five years running a division and designing and, you know, predicting what the customer was going to want 18 months before they wanted it. And then this thing called NAFTA came in mm. and within a few short months, it literally wiped out the entire industry. Wow. Another so, change. Another massive change. And how, how do you say, uh, how from there did you become a coach and consultant? Well, I've never been a coach, um, but I got into uh, training and development and consulting and working. You know, uh, when I first got out of the fashion business, I was working, teaching folks to do public speaking and doing personal development programs. And I think I took every NLP training that was out there. <laughs> and, or, you know, I mean, you to change, I always found for me that an educational portion helped me to shift my thinking because they're the things we don't know we don't know. Yeah. And until you get into the um, space of another being and their understanding and experience and knowing, um, you're not confronted with the limits of your understanding and experience. And, and that's what international travel does. If you're able to open up to what's happening culturally. So is that continual? Uh, um, you really take the lifelong learning to really to the extreme, always learning, <laughs> always curious. 
Uh, and I think I, I spoke about the coaching because, yeah, even if you didn't have a coaching kind of training or, or a certification, you are very coach-like in your approach <laughs> to training. And in my conversations with you, um, you really are trying to elicit the best in people. The, well, that is the core of what we do. It's the exploration of the inner world of the other person, because when that becomes clear, not only to them, but the people that you are trying to knit them together with, then you can have functional, healthy relationship. So I have to <laughs> throw you a big hot potato to the plate here because we are still in this COVID situation. I don't know when people will listening to the recording, if it's after it's published or um, years later, but th this situation with the COVID-19 uh, is lasting longer than anybody, I think, or we wish, I will put the expected is a different story, but that anybody, nobody, I think, wish that this lasts so long and be uh, so disrupting uh, everybody's lives and companies and organizations. So, but from your own experience of living with transformation, change and disruption, what will be tips, guides, um, uh, or, or some clues that you can give uh, us to navigate this change? Um, I think one of the big pieces that would, that I think is the biggest help for folks is understanding and being in touch with your own internal meaning making and reactions to your experiences. If you're aware of the words that are going on in your head, your dog tracks, the maps that you're using, and the places where you are. And if those maps and places do or don't match up, and when they don't, your reactions to that, that self-awareness, um, those reactions are informational as to what you need. And just because we give ourselves stories around what we need doesn't mean that those stories are true about making the, meeting those needs. So that openness and awareness to why I'm reacting, I'm feeling these things, I'm having these emotions, I'm, and we make a meaning of that, but we also can be open to more possibilities, to maybe there is a different way of approaching it. Maybe I don't have to react. Maybe I can press the pause button and there is another way, even if I don't have any clue now what that other way is. Yeah, absolutely. I've been um, with my um, consulting coaching clients, been going through a beliefs program with them where we're helping them to elicit beliefs, to work with beliefs, to change beliefs. And the thing I keep repeating to them is the content of the beliefs is one thing. You know, we can tell ourselves stories around our beliefs and, you know, whether it's a belief or whether it's true. Um, but the defining a belief is filling in the gap between knowing and not knowing. 
So we'll take little bits of knowing and then fill in the other yeah. stuff with our beliefs. Some people take those beliefs as fact and life. So you cannot change because you cannot yeah. change it because this is the absolute truth. So the other part of the beliefs is not only the content of it, but I keep encouraging them to look for the answer to this question, which is how does this person hold this belief? And if you could get to the, how am I holding this? Is this absolute life or death? Or is this a, I don't know, you know, maybe I'll play around with it. What if I tried to believe something else? What if I didn't believe this? You know, what if something else was possible, right? There are a variety of ways to hold it. And when you get that difference between what are the beliefs as contents versus how are we holding these beliefs as containers, you make a, a radical difference in the lives of you know your clients but also yourself when you can when you can step back and look at those beliefs in that way or your emotional reactions in yeah. that way because even when that beliefs are so uh, so old so close to the core that people cannot let go of them sometimes i think uh, and go back to the image of the spiral if we bring another level or another dimension uh, to uh, respect that, but allows them to see more, I think that is the opportunity of change there. There are, I, I look at a five point model when it comes to change. And one of those we just talked about, which is what's at the content level right? What are the things that people talk about is important to them, whether they're beliefs or values or memes or behaviors or, you know, that. Um, and then the second layer or level to that is connection. And we do not transform in isolation. We transform as part of these human relationship systems. So the job of leadership is relating. The job of a parent is relating. And in these relating moments, they can be very toxic, shutting people down, or they can be so empowering in just seeing the living being that's there and communicating that it's okay for them to become who they are and rise up to their full potential. I love it. Absolutely love it. And I don't love it that we are in the top of our time, <laughs> but I would love, oh, if people are curious to know more about the spiral dynamics, about your work, um, what will be a, uh, the next step for them? Um, best next step is jump on the spiraldynamics.org website, go to our advanced resources and pick a title of an article that intrigues you. Awesome. We have them on leadership. We have them on terrorism. We have them on neuro-linguistic programming. We've got a number of different articles. And if you're interested in um, reaching out to me, just feel free to send me an email, natasha at spiraldynamics.org. So the thing about getting to the resources, finding something that 
uh, entices their curiosity and uh, advanced resources is resources and then advanced resources and then just start to explore there. And there is any book that you will recommend as a first step if somebody likes to read books still? <laughs> For those of you who love books, um, we have, um, I would say, Levels of Human Existence. That is um, where the core of this work began with my husband's mentor, uh, Claire Graves. It goes through, we, we put together a talk that he delivered and we did it in a very clear, simple way where not only does he outline how he conducted his research and he presents some of his research notes, um, there's an amazing Q&A and his, um, one of his favorite uh, papers is reprinted in it. So it's a simple read. It's an easy read. Love it. And if you're thinking that's fun, then, you know, contact me. Yes. And I will make sure that all these links go under in the show notes for this episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Oh, you are so <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor, a privilege and a treasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening and remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world.